Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome, listeners, and thanks for joining us on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. In this new episode, we'll tell you all about a truly chilling UFO case involving a strange episode of alien contact with children. On 16 September 1994, there was a UFO sighting outside Rua, Zimbabwe. 62 pupils at the aerial school, aged between 6 and 12, said they saw one or more silver craft descend from the sky. These craft landed in a field near their school. Some of the children claimed one or more creatures dressed all in black then approached them. The beings telepathically communicated to them a message with an environmental theme, frightening them and causing them to become, well, hysterical. Fortean writer Jerome Clark has called the incident the most remarkable close encounter of the third kind of the 1990s. But do skeptics agree? Was it a case of actual alien contact or just mass hysteria? And what was the message imparted to the children? Well, we'll answer those questions and more in this episode all about the aerial school alien incident. And we'll get to the story in just a moment, right after I remind you about the Paranormal Factor podcast Facebook page. Every day, Monday through Friday, there's new paranormal and supernatural material for you to explore. Fans of the show know it's the best place to find monsters, quizzes, film, TV, and book recommendations, and current paranormal news stories from around the world. Now, on to our new episode from Zimbabwe. In September 1994, a strange story emerged from the tiny community of Rua in Zimbabwe. There, 62 children at the prestigious aerial school reported seeing flying silver disks land in a nearby field. But that wasn't the end of the story. You see, strange creatures emerged from the disks and spoke to the children telepathically in what came to be known as the aerial incident. Rua, where the aerial school is located, is a small agricultural area located just over 13 miles from the capital city of Harare in Zimbabwe. At the time of the UFO incident, Rua wasn't really even a town. It was just a local name associated with a farming area. Ariel itself was a very expensive private school. The school was racially diverse, though the majority of its children in attendance at the time were from wealthy middle-class white families who lived in Harare. While the adult faculty were inside for their morning meeting, the pupils were outside enjoying their mid-morning break. But when the children returned to the classroom, well, they had an amazing story for their teachers. And when they got home, the children told their tale to their parents. The next day, many of the parents who were disturbed by what they had been told, went to the school to find out just what had happened the day before. Soon, the story was also out over the popular ZBC radio, and then foreign journalists and UFO experts began descending on the school. The first reporter on the scene was the BBC's Tim Leach, who visited the school three days after the event. He was a veteran war correspondent. 
Well, he was shaken enough by what he heard during his interviews with the children to state, I could handle war zones, but I could not handle this. The most chilling part about the children's story was that they all told basically the same version of the event. A few details changed here or there from child to child, but overall, the story did not change. And to this day, many of the children present at the time, who are now adults, maintain that their stories are true. They believe they saw something that day, and no amount of skepticism will change their minds. That is certainly the case for Emma and Salma. The two were playing together when they both claimed to have seen a being. Huge eyes that you just can't not look towards. And once we got that eye connection, everything else around us just disappeared, said Emma. That's when I started feeling messages. The ideas just came across over into me, uh, into my being. It wasn't talking, it was almost telepathic. It was just a feeling, this overwhelming feeling. It didn't touch me physically, but it felt like that stare. It touched every ounce of my body, said Selma. She too felt messages. Liesel was shaken by the sighting. As a young girl, she had ongoing fears at night. I worry that the man is still looking at me and he is going to kill me. Now an adult, she says she is still traumatized by the event years later. You live and try to have a normal life. You try and move on, but it's always this experience that just opens up fears again. The aerial school UFO incident remains a mystery, and no definitive explanation has been universally accepted. It continues to be a subject of debate and research even within the UFO community, and serves as a unique case due to the large number of child witnesses and the detailed nature of their accounts. Maybe, just maybe, the aerial UFO incident really did happen. Or maybe skeptics are right that it never did. Time to look deeper into this fascinating UFO case. The aerial school incident unfolded on September 16, 1994 in rural Zimbabwe, a community so small that it was sometimes described as more of a crossroad than a town. There had been a lot of alleged UFO sightings in the previous days, reports of strange lights and a craft in the sky in other parts of Zimbabwe, as well as in Zambia and South Africa. But nothing would match what dozens of schoolchildren claimed to see during an otherwise normal school day. The 62 children at the school said they'd seen a UFO and aliens with big eyes in bushland near their school playground. And their parents, who paid the school's expensive tuition, were determined to learn what had actually happened. And they weren't the only ones. The story would be reported around the world. Soon, everyone wanted to know what the story was. The school itself is located in a rural area surrounded by fields and open spaces. Around 10 a.m., the children went outside for a mid-morning break while the teachers were having a meeting inside. But as they were playing near the school building, something in the distance caught their attention. As the children later told adults, they saw a silvery round disc. The remote location contributed to the visibility of the alleged UFO craft. The students reported seeing a large metallic object in the sky. The object was consistently described as disc-shaped or saucer-shaped, resembling classic UFO imagery. It had a shiny, silver, or metallic appearance. It looked like it was glinting in the trees. It, it looked like a disc, like a round disc, one of the children told the BBC a few days later. Another recalled seeing something silver amongst the trees. 
The UFO was then seen to hover silently in the air at a relatively low altitude. The children would provide very detailed descriptions of the UFO. They mentioned the metallic surface, lights on the craft, and the fact that it emitted no sound which added to the disturbing atmosphere of the encounter. The object was also observed making erratic maneuvers darting around in the sky. Approximately 62 students at the school reported seeing this UFO, and their ages ranged from approximately 5 years old to 12 years old. In addition to the students, some teachers and staff members also witnessed the event, adding credibility to the accounts. The school children described the incident lasting around 15 minutes as they saw the object move down from the sky into a field behind the playground. Some of the children ran away, while others continued watching the craft. Some skeptics would later suggest the children had mistaken rocks for a landed disc-like object. Many of the witnesses, however, including brothers Tefu and Kuzanai, noted how people over the years tried to discredit their experiences or convince them that what they saw wasn't real. It definitely was not a rock. I know what a rock looks like, said Tefu, laughing. On the lower half of it, there were lights. Most of the adults at the school were still indoors for the faculty meeting and only learned about what the children had allegedly seen once the meeting ended. The teachers were skeptical and continued the school day as normal, but then the children went home and told their parents. They told them the whole story, including a disturbing account of aliens. And what set this incident apart from the recent rash of UFO reports in the area were the descriptions of the beings associated with the craft. You see, the children claimed humanoid figures exited the silver disc craft. The encounter with unidentified beings at the aerial school is one of the most intriguing aspects of this UFO incident. According to the young witnesses, they observed strange beings near the UFO. The beings were described as small and humanoid in shape. They were reported to have brown skin, long black hair, and dark almond-shaped eyes. The children noted that the beings had a striking appearance, quite different from humans, and some described them wearing black uniforms. Kunzanai said he saw the being and that it terrified him. Short, long arms, crazy, greenish, oval-shaped head, he said. The creatures were allegedly human-like, but had waxy skin and large, penetrating eyes. While some of the children believed they were Zvikwambo, the evil goblins of local folklore, most described what they'd seen as aliens. I could see the little man was dressed in a black, shiny suit, that he had long black hair and his eyes, which seemed lower on the cheek than our eyes, were large and elongated, one student, Guy G, explained. The mouth, well, it was just a slit, and the ears were hardly discernible. Interestingly, some of the aerial students insist that they saw at least one apparent being running around the craft in a strange fashion. One student compared the sight to men walking on the moon. And the children reported the creatures communicated with them through thoughts, not spoken words. But what were they urging the children telepathically to do? Dr. John E. Mack, a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, was brought in to speak with the children shortly after the incident. Mack soon found the aliens allegedly did much more than just land on the school grounds. Speaking to the psychiatrist, the children opened up about what they'd experienced during their alleged alien encounter. Amazingly, they told Mac the aliens had communicated with them telepathically and had urged them to protect 
Earth's environment. What makes this encounter particularly unusual and significant is this alleged telepathic communication between the children and the beings. He never said anything, one girl said when Mac asked how the aliens had transmitted their message. It was just the eyes. When asked what sense she'd gotten from the aliens' eyes, the girl added, he was interested. According to the witnesses, the beings conveyed messages to them through thought bypassing traditional spoken language. The messages were said to be about concern for the environment and the Earth's future. The children reported the beings communicated their deep concern for the state of the planet. They conveyed a sense of urgency about environmental issues and the impact of human actions on the Earth. The witnesses recalled the beings were communicating a message about taking better care of the planet. A fifth-grade student named Francis told Mac that the figures had warned him that pollution mustn't be. And another student named Emma explained, I think they want people to know that we're actually making harm on this world and we mustn't get too technologized. Soon the aerial school phenomenon attracted the attention of UFO expert Cynthia Hind. Hind went to the school within days of the event and interviewed the children about what had happened. In groups of two to six, they told her what they'd witnessed and sketched out drawings of the aliens and the UFO. Hind believed the children's claims were credible. Since they lived in a rural environment, Hind argued, they wouldn't have seen many depictions of aliens in movies or TV, lending believability to their story. Hind and other investigators also saw the encounter had a profound emotional impact on the witnesses. Many of them reported feeling a mix of emotions, including fear, confusion, awe, and curiosity. Some experienced nightmares and struggled to process the encounter. In the aftermath of the incident, some of the children had extreme difficulties coping with the event. In the decades since, many of the children of the aerial school have stuck to their story. They insist the aerial school incident really happened, and on that day in September 1994, they crossed paths with alien beings. But skeptics? Well, they believe there are much simpler explanations for the alleged incident at the aerial school. But what if it's all made up? No, I didn't see the UFO. I made up the whole thing, said Dallin whose last name is withheld along with all of the former students in Believers, the second episode of the Netflix UFO documentary series Encounters. He claimed that wanting to get out of class, he and a friend came up with a crazy idea, which never ever should have worked. Dallin began pointing to a rock shining in the sun. There's a spaceship. There's an alien. Within half an hour, all the kids were talking about it. All the kids were running around and the school was buzzing, he said. In an interview, Dallin maintained that his former schoolmates were duped, saying, maybe they truly believed they'd seen it, but I'm sorry to tell you, it never happened. They're lying to themselves. But it is important to know, just as with those who say the event did happen, Dallin's account is also circumstantial and hearsay. A number of adults soon investigated the children's claims, including UFO investigator Cynthia Hind, Harvard professor of psychiatry John Mack, and the BBC. But while they saw the aerial incident as possible compelling proof of extraterrestrial life, others saw it as a prime example of mass hysteria. Mass hysteria is a common term used to describe a situation in which various people all suffer from similar unexplained symptoms. It's a social phenomenon occurring among otherwise healthy people 
who suddenly believe they have been affected by some external factor, like an alien craft landing near them, for instance. To skeptics, the aerial incident can be easily explained in a number of ways even beyond the mass hysteria explanation. For starters, UFO investigator Hind recorded a number of UFO sightings in the days immediately before the incident at the school. So skeptics claim the children's alien encounter was influenced from recent UFO sightings in Africa over the last couple of days. In fact, two days before this incident, People claimed to have seen fireballs raining from the sky at night. While some believed the raining fireballs to be UFOs, others believed they were meteors falling from the sky. According to UFO skeptic Brian Dunning, the fireballs were actually the re-entry of the Zenit 2 rocket from the Cosmos 2290 satellite launch. Around the time of these fireball sightings, other alien reports came in from a trucker claiming to see aliens along the road and a mother and son claiming to see aliens as well. So by the time the UFO incident occurred at Ariel School, more than a few people believed the children reported the sighting as an alien encounter because of these recent UFO reports having an impact on them. These recent UFO reports were fresh in people's minds after all, perhaps especially the children's. According to Skeptoid, Hines claimed that the children would not know about aliens was also likely false. Rua was a small community, but closely situated to the thriving metropolis of Harare. And the children came from affluent families and would have had access to popular media and TVs. Given this, it's likely that the children could have heard about the alleged UFO sightings that preceded the aerial school incident. And since Hine interviewed them in groups of two to six, the children could have picked up cues from each other explaining their similar stories. They may have also picked up cues from Harvard psychiatrist Mack. As Skeptoid notes, Mack was a known environmental activist, and it wasn't until after his interviews that the children claimed the aliens had transmitted an anti-pollution message. They hadn't mentioned it at all to UFO investigator Hind. Another possible explanation? A dust devil. Yeah, a dust devil. Skeptics suggest there is evidence to suggest this as the actual cause of the event. Most notable were the reports of the UFO making a whirring sound while rotating, hovering, and then disappearing in a rush of wind. But what about the alien sightings? Well, skeptics say it was likely tree branches with fruit attached that got caught up in the dust devil. In fact, some of the children's drawings, skeptics note, showed the aliens as branch-like. So, was it a prank with influential children guiding their classmates in an elaborate hoax? Was it an incident of mass hysteria? Did a helicopter land and the children only thought they had seen a strange UFO? Or did the students actually see a UFO and its occupants? For many, the belief persists, despite skepticism, that the aerial school was the scene of one of the most extraordinary UFO encounters of all time. Virtually every single one of the 62 children repeated the exact same story with the same details, and none of them have ever gone against his or her story. Many dismissed the 1994 incident as mass hysteria affecting the children. But when the children were found, by their own admissions, to not have much prior knowledge of UFOs or popular UFO perceptions, many others believed what the children witnessed could have been real. So what happened during recess at a rural elementary school in Zimbabwe in 1994 really depends on who you talk to.
To many in the UFO research community, the event is one of the most significant encounters between humans and extraterrestrials in history. They point out one of the remarkable aspects of the aerial school incident is the consistency of the children's accounts. Despite their young ages, the witnesses describe the UFO and the beings in a consistent and detailed manner. The aerial school UFO incident is also notable not only for the accounts of the children, but also for the independent testimonies from teachers, staff members, and even the headmaster. These adult witnesses corroborate the children's experiences and reactions to the incident, lending further credibility to the events. Several teachers and staff members at the aerial school reported witnessing the children's reactions on the day of the UFO encounter. This includes observing their emotional states, hearing their accounts of the incident, and noting their distress. The teachers and staff members confirmed that the children's descriptions of seeing a UFO and beings near it were consistent with one another. They also noted the children were visibly shaken by the encounter. The headmaster of the aerial school, Colin Mackey, was present during the incident and later confirmed he had seen the children's reactions and spoken with them about what they had witnessed. He noted the children were genuinely frightened by the encounter and their stories matched. These sighting details along with the multiple witnesses and their credible accounts have made the aerial school UFO incident a unique and compelling case in the study of UFOs and extraterrestrial contact. So did the aerial school incident happen? Many believe it did. Certainly the children who experienced it do. Others are more likely to label it as mass hysteria or some other rational explanation. For the children who were there, and then went through the worldwide media frenzy that surrounded their alleged encounter. The event has in many ways defined their lives since. All grown up, the school kids still give compelling testimony as to what they saw that day and speak about their struggles to be believed. And over 19 years since the encounter, many of the now adult children stand by the extraordinary claims of what they saw that day on September the 16th, 1994. Tapfu said that people can go in different directions after something like what happened that day on the schoolyard. He said, but that's what makes us human. Let's give him the final word. Some people choose to dig deeper. Some people choose to just shut it down and not think about it. Some people may have found answers that make sense to them. Some people, it may still be a puzzle piece that doesn't fit anywhere. The people that were that day that say that didn't happen, but that's okay, too. That's a choice, too. Well, in our next episode, we'll tell you all about a really strange creature that has been spotted in Chicago. A bat creature. A winged bat-like humanoid creature, to be exact. It made its presence known with sightings in the city of Chicago back in 2011. And the sightings seemed to spike every summer. That could be a big problem, as it seems whatever showed up in 2011 has decided to stay. Sightings of the bat creature were also reported throughout Chicago in 2017, when several high-profile and terrifying encounters occurred. In fact, by the second week in August 2017, there had been nearly 30 sightings of a large flying humanoid in the Chicago area. Lon Stickler, who has been tracking reports on his website, Phantoms and Monsters, and for the singular Fortean Society, started hearing stories about a winged creature in Chicago in 2011. He initially received three reports, but those sightings have continued since. 
So what is this strange cryptid that looks very much like a giant bat but also has humanoid features? What did witnesses report saying? Well, we'll tell you what people think it could be and let you know what the skeptics think when we cover the Chicago bat creature next time right here on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. It is time for the quiz, and here we go. The Krampus is the antithesis of who? Is it A, King Troll, B, Queen Maria of the Fairies, C, Santa Claus, or D, Seamus the Leprechaun? Once again, the Krampus is the antithesis of who? Is it King Troll, Queen Maria of the Fairies, Santa Claus, or Seamus the Leprechaun? And the answer is... C. Santa Claus. The Krampus is a very scary creature. It's a horned entity in Central and Eastern Alpine European folklore who, during the Advent season, is a terror for children who have misbehaved. While the winter holiday season is generally associated with merriment and good cheer, the Krampus stalks the land with a terrible presence more reminiscent of Halloween than Christmas. A mangled, deranged face with bloodshot eyes tops a furry black body. Giant horns curl up from his head, displaying that half-goat, half-demon lineage. In addition, he has cloven hoofs, fangs, and his long, pointed tongue dangles about. According to traditional narratives of Alpine folklore, the Krampus would enter towns, lashing his chains and bells to capture the bad children in a basket and bring them down to the underworld. The Krampus Noct, or Krampus Night, would occur the evening before December the 6th, St. Nicholas Day. And so the Krampus began to be intertwined with St. Nicholas, later known as Santa Claus. The Krampus would tag along with him, the two went hand in hand, but certainly with a major difference in how they approach the holiday in general, and children in particular. You might say the Krampus is the boogeyman of Christmas. He visited houses all night with his saintly pal. But while St. Nick was putting candy in the shoes of good kids, the Krampus put birch twigs in the shoes of the bad. And if you'd like to learn more about the Krampus, well, check out Season 3, Episode 50, right here on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by. <laughs>